people who work in healthcare do amazing things every day, heroic things every day, and they're also humans. And so they're deserving of the same kind of support that all of us are. You're listening to For the Love of Health, a podcast about delivering care and creating health, brought to you by Christiana Care. And now, here are your hosts. Hello, everyone. I'm Megan McGurman. And I'm Michael Chesney. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Health, brought to you by Christiana Care. Working in healthcare is certainly rewarding, but it can also be challenging mentally and emotionally. That's what makes caring for the caregiver such an important part of how healthcare organizations support their staff. And here at Christiana Care, that work includes an offering called Psychological First Aid. And here today to talk to us about what is often referred to as PFA is Katie Godfrey. She's a psychologist and the director of Christiana Care's Center for Work-Life Wellbeing. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about how the pandemic changed the way that we talk about the mental and emotional health of healthcare workers. There's less focus just on the individual and more understanding of the opportunity and the responsibility for organizations and for systems, for teams, to really look at their opportunities to improve healthcare professional well-being. It really took the pandemic, I think, for many organizations to realize that organizations can do work, can support this work, can support the well-being of their healthcare professionals. And it's kind of a matter of how do we do that? How do we pay for it? How do we implement it? And so a lot of healthcare organizations were doing that work within the pandemic, kind of building the plane as they were flying it to stand up programs, to invest in resources to support healthcare professionals. At Christiana Care, I feel really lucky that we've actually had our program and our Center for Work-Life Wellbeing for many years and was well-established prior to the pandemic. So we really had a strong foundation upon which to provide our response within the pandemic. Um, And so that really allowed us to be there for our caregivers in the way that we needed and to kind of already have some of the culture change uh, and shift around mental health and well-being that's that's much needed in healthcare. And I'll say as well that there's kind of been more discourse and dialogue within even just the general public about healthcare professional well-being, that this recognition that physicians and nurses and respiratory therapists, people that work clinically, the essential workers within a hospital, they've all sacrificed so much uh, to work through the pandemic, to support our communities and keep us healthy. And I think there's just more openness to the fact that those folks um, you know, deserve support and can be impacted by the work that they do. So you mentioned the Center for Work-Life Wellbeing has been around for a number of years. But what did the national landscape really look like prior to 2020 and the pandemic? If you worked in healthcare during that time, it was really difficult for you to envision seeking support services for things like mental health or well-being. There was a lot of stigma around, you know, accessing those services, a lot of fear about what might happen if a licensing board found out that you had a diagnosis or that you had ever sought treatment, even for things like marital counseling. There was a lot of concerns that even just seeking treatment or having that diagnosis on your record could put your license at risk. There were certainly a lot of reasons why people feared seeking support and why they often didn't acknowledge that they were struggling until things had gotten to a place where, you know, they couldn't deny it anymore. So how has that progressed then from 2020 to today? Now there's more recognition that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to seek support. There's actually a lot of efforts across the nation to change things like the licensing boards and the questions for that hospitals use to credential uh, physicians and other um, healthcare professionals that it's okay to have a history of mental health concerns. It's okay to have, you know, uh, sought treatment, to have gone to therapy. They're really just concerned about how well can you do your job now, uh, which I think is a huge relief for folks who work in healthcare, that they can seek help and support. They can talk about how they're doing openly with their colleagues without fear of being reported to licensing board or having their credentials taken away. 
especially early in the pandemic, we could see that the public stood up healthcare professionals and essential workers as heroes. And I think that was very well-intentioned, right? This idea that we value what you do. We think what you do is amazing. We, you know, our communities rely on you so deeply. But I think there's a double-edged sword to calling folks who work in healthcare heroes, which is heroes, what do they do? They're superhuman. (laughs) They run towards danger. They don't have fear. They have unending strength and determination. They put others' needs first and always put themselves last. And I think that that's just not a sustainable way to work in healthcare. And so I think the public is really coming to understand that people who work in healthcare do amazing things every day, heroic things every day. And they're also humans. And so they're deserving of the same kind of support and uh, efforts to sustain their well-being and to support their mental health that all of us are uh, as humans. So healthcare heroes to healthcare humans. Exactly. It's easy to understand how the pandemic and caring for people during that time frame would have been emotionally taxing. But can you give us examples of how being a healthcare worker is a challenge at any time? A couple of examples come to mind. One is if you can imagine someone who works in oncology, they may have very close relationships with the patients that they work with. They may see a lot of really wonderful results and see how they can change people's lives. Uh, However, there are patients that they get close to that despite the best treatments that we have, interventions that are developed and the best science that we know, Uh, they're still not able to increase quality of life or length of life for patients that have a poor prognosis. And so it can be really stressful and upsetting. You can be at the top of your game in terms of your profession. You can do everything right, and your patients might not have the best outcomes. And so those kinds of limitations, I think, are some of the things that healthcare professionals carry when they feel kind of weighed down by the work that they do. Another example that comes to mind is if you think about someone who works in the emergency department, which is often a very busy, fast-paced kind of environment. There are demands that are really fluctuating. Some days and some shifts, maybe you don't have a lot of people in the waiting room. Other days, for whatever reason, you have a lot of people in the waiting room. And so, you know, you're having to keep up with a lot of demands that are changing from day to day, from shift to shift. As a caregiver, you might be seeing someone on one of the worst days of their lives. Maybe there's been an accident that's happened or something tragic that they've experienced or been through. Oftentimes, you have to hear the story of what they've what they've gone through. You soak up these stories almost like a sponge, and they can affect us. That kind of vicarious trauma can happen all over healthcare. What's changing now in the way that caregivers take care of themselves and take care of each other? I'm really heartened by seeing all the change that's happening, especially within Christiana Care. So one thing that I'm seeing is a recognition that a stress injury is just as valid and real as a physical injury. We can, you know, break our arms or our legs. We can be impacted by emotional stress and psychological trauma. Those can cause stress injuries that stay with us. They can impact our mind, our bodies, our spirits. I've seen uh, a lot of folks sharing stories of seeking treatment, of seeking help, of raising their hand and, you know, connecting with a colleague to talk about how they're doing and how beneficial that's been. You know, when people feel comfortable doing so, I think sharing stories of how they sought treatment or talked to a therapist or a counselor can be incredibly um, hopeful and can go a long way to reduce the stigma of seeking support. Even, you know, the best and brightest among us need help from time to time, and there's no shame in seeking support and and getting help. And one of the ways your team is helping people talk more about it is through psychological first aid. Give us an overview of that program. This is a a program that trains people to respond to colleagues that are uh, facing stress or stress injuries. It really trains them to show up with compassion and empathy. The goal is to kind of foster five factors that we know from the research are beneficial in helping people recover from 
everything from, you know, disaster and tragedy to things like stressors that occur in their day-to-day life. Those five factors that we're promoting in psychological first aid are safety, calming, social connection, confidence in ourselves and in other people, and hope. The how of how we do psychological first aid involves three steps in the model that uh, my team developed. The first R is recognize. So being able to understand and see when someone has shifted in terms of their stress might benefit from a well-being check-in. The second R is recover. That's being able to check in with them and discuss what do they need in the moment? What's going to help them recover in the short term and in the long term? And then the last R is refer, referring them and connecting them with long-term support resources. So it's a three-hour training. We've been able to train a lot of leaders at Christiana Care and equip them with the skills to be supportive colleagues when folks are facing stress or stress injuries. And it's something we're really proud of. We have a tool from Psychological First Aid that I think the listeners might be interested in and hearing more about. I'm hoping you can share it with them, the, the stress continuum, which is this idea that stress is not binary. It's not being stressed or not stressed. It lies in a continuum all the way from thriving to surviving to struggling to critical. And that in any given day, we can shift on that stress continuum. Maybe something happens at work, I shift into yellow, or maybe it's been a long week and I'm in orange. And if I can communicate with myself and recognize where I'm at and also communicate with my colleagues, like today's an orange day for me, guys, or, you know, that meeting just put me in yellow. It communicates a lot very quickly. And so I think that's been a really powerful tool for folks to use with their teams, with their colleagues, to be able to kind of check in on one another and share how they're doing without getting into kind of too much detail. So you've trained a bunch of leaders who are all mental health care professionals? So the beauty of psychological first aid is that you don't have to be a mental health professional or even a healthcare professional to uh, receive the training and to do psychological first aid. If you've done this training, uh, you're equipped with all the skills that you need to show up compassionately and to provide folks with resources and to support them in, in their recovery. And what are the origins of psychological first aid? Where did it come from? So our model of psychological first aid kind of pulls from two distinct ways that these kinds of programs have been used. One is a stress first aid model that was developed by the Navy and by the National Center for PTSD. And it was specifically developed for folks in the military, fire and rescue, first responders, and in healthcare. So in high-risk occupations where there's you know, lots of demands, lots of pressures, where there's a need to kind of assess someone's readiness. So where am I on that stress continuum? And what do I need to recover and get back to green, get back to ready? The second origins of our psychological first aid program, it's from uh, disaster mental health. Uh, psychological first aid is used often by organizations like the Red Cross or the World Health Organization for individuals and communities to have support after things like natural disasters or maybe displacement due to war, where folks can really have a compassionate check-in with someone who can help them stabilize in the moment and also connect them with long-term support resources. So those were kind of the two uh, different programs that inspired us to develop our own psychological first aid program. So Christiana Care, we offer PFA training to our caregivers. We also do consultations for other companies that are interested in having their employees trained in this, what other industries, what other areas might PFA be useful in? Well, certainly some of the areas that have benefited from stress first aid. So like I said, a lot of the first responders, but it could really be applied to anywhere where there's stress in the workplace. That could be broadly applicable, really. I can think a lot about folks who are working in social services or human services, um, you know, volunteer organizations, those kinds of things. Those are really places where folks could benefit a lot from psychological first aid. So across any industry, how do you make sure a program like this is accepted and is successful? 
One is to have a lot of buy-in from the top. Leadership really has to believe and support these efforts. It can't be just one of those mandatory trainings that everyone kind of rolls their eyes about. It has to be something that they take too. Um, it also has to be part of a larger culture change. You know, this can't be the only thing that you turn to when you're thinking about supporting the well-being and mental health of folks within your organization. It has to be part of a larger strategy. And Katie, while we have you, what is some advice you can give someone who may be trying to help someone else who is struggling in a moment of crisis? One thing that we emphasize in PFA and I think is a lesson that we can all learn and, and take into our lives is that it's really important just to be a good listener, that we can do a lot of good by listening compassionately, without judgment, listening to understand someone's situation, what they're experiencing, what their fears or concerns might be before jumping in to solve their problems. I know I'm guilty of uh, some of these kind of common traps that we mentioned in PFA, like trying to find the silver lining in something or reassure someone or say, oh, all you have to do is this, this, and this, and then you won't have to worry about that anymore. And I think often well-intentioned, we're trying to help and we jump to those solutions right away. A lot of what we do in PFA is try to train people to be really good listeners first, to really tune in and, and hear what people are saying, to understand their perspective before then offering any support resources. So I think it's important for folks to know what are some of the things I should avoid when doing PFA or when approaching someone in a crisis. And it's actually not very helpful to ask them to recount the details or to get into the emotions of what it is that happened to them, because that can be re-traumatizing. So instead of thinking about, oh my gosh, what is it that happened to you? Tell me all the details. Tell me how you're feeling at that moment. You can just say, how are you doing now, given everything that's happened to you? That's a better way to approach someone who's in a crisis. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure. We have lots of useful information on psychological first aid in our show notes for this episode. You can get those at christianacare.org slash podcast. And while you're there, click on the icons for Apple, Spotify, or Google to subscribe to For the Love of Health and never miss an episode. Take a moment as well to leave us a review or connect with Christiana Care on social media. And we'll be back in two weeks with another great conversation. Until then, thanks again for joining us. For, for the, the Love, love of, of Health. health.